welcome. Um, I'm stoked to be here and uh, getting to preach with everyone. It is a weird experience because it's basically 30 minutes of silence. The same where you don't hear anybody except yourself, and uh, that's why it's great to just see a whole bunch of faces um, and not just have names. So I know that there's actually living, breathing people out there. But um, welcome. Origins is uh, a new series we're kicking off. Uh, it's going to last for uh, seven weeks is the plan. Um, a little technical thing. Um, going to try something new. After the message, I'm going to try and do like a question and response. We won't call it question and answers because I probably won't have the answers, but I'll try to respond to some questions um, based off the sort of topic of the night as we go for the next couple of uh, weeks. Although if Paul's preaching next week, he's also welcome to, to jump in. I'm just throwing you into the bus there, Paul. You're welcome to answer the questions next week, but I'm happy to join you. Um, but if, as I'm talking to tonight's, uh, tonight's topic, if you want to message Jana again in the chat, um, questions through, and then after the meeting, we're going to go into breakout rooms, but then after like 10 minutes, anyone's welcome to come back into the main room, and I'm just going to answer my bit, but shoot from the hip, trying to answer the questions that we have based off tonight's topic. So if you just got stuff that comes into your head, feel free to send that through to Yana and we'll we'll try uh, do that as best as possible. <clears throat> but I think one of the main reasons we want to do this series origins um, in the beginning, looking back at the beginning, is uh, we're trying to answer the big question of how did we get here? And in a sense, that's kind of a tagline for the whole series in a way, although it's also the, the topic of my talk. Um, but if you think about it, how did we get here? It, it's a big question. It's a sort of foundational question um, that you kind of answer a whole bunch of sub questions that branches off and you can answer a whole bunch of little questions that then gives you the sort of firm foundation, I guess you could call it that, a solid base to kind of build from. But it's a question that everybody asks, right? Like we all ask this question, humans answer this question, um, how did we get here? We answer it in some shape or form. And if you think about it in any situation in life, we uh, we ask that question because we need to orient ourselves. And sometimes we don't answer it um, intentionally. It's just kind of a subconscious thing. So for example, right now we're in a Zoom meeting. We're doing church on a Sunday night on Zoom. How did we get here? Well, a year and a half ago, Wuhan province, China, there was a bat and then stuff happened basically. And that's how we came to be doing church on Zoom. Um, there's a story that we find ourselves in that roots us in this new experience of, oh, we're, we're doing church on Zoom. Um, and it gives us some sort of context. But now think about the big questions, okay, of how did we get here? If we answer those, if we, if we ask those and we answer those, that roots us in <clears throat> reality, hopefully, number one. It roots us in a story. We find our place in a particular chapter of an ongoing story um, that then helps us navigate the future. If we know where we are in the story, we've got a basis in reality that helps us in life. Um, and that's true for all people. No matter who you are, um, people will answer the question differently, but we all try to figure out, hey, what is the story? What are the origins? Um, how do we make sense of this world? And as I say, people will answer that question differently. They'll say, we've got different origins. Therefore, we're in a different story. And that then causes people to navigate their world and their future and their lives very differently because it, it changes the way you, you move forward. You do big things and small things in a, in a different light because of the way you've answered that question. So here we are right now, Cape Town, uh, 2021. We're just coming out of our second wave, which I mean, is it confident enough to say that the second wave is over? Basically, I think it is. But um, that's where we kind of are. And we're trying to navigate the future, right? But it's not easy. I mean, I think of us uh, as the leaders trying to figure out what does the future look like for church right now? When are we going to meet in person? How's that looking? Um, we can't 
predict lots of stuff. It's pretty hard to plan. I remember Paul and I trying to make the 2021 calendar at the end of last year, and it was kind of like, <laughs> good luck. Um, just assume that there's nothing happening and it's all online and then you'll be fine and your expectations will be managed. But um, we don't have a clue. It's really hard. And don't get me wrong, we need to do our best um, in all times to try and read the seasons. We need to do our best at all times to try and um, understand the times that we find ourselves in and plan accordingly. That's a good thing. But in general, life is very transient. And even so, more so now, there's, everything's in flux. And so it, we can't you know, look into the crystal ball and pinpoint the future exactly. But what we can do is look back in the past and solidify ourselves in what we can know in, in, the, in the big things of life. And <clears throat> as I say, that's the plan for the next couple of weeks, the next seven weeks. Hopefully we can settle some massive building block issues um, in our lives, in our faith, and um, that will hopefully give us some sure foundations with which to navigate um, this time and serve each other in this community. But if you think about it, if we can, if we can all bank, um, you know, who made the universe and, and why the universe was made, that's going to serve us really well. If we can um, understand, um, how, you know, how God created us and why he created us male and female, that's going to give us a lot of clarity in a world where social media is saying a million different things that are incoherent very loudly in our, in our face every single day. Um, if we can figure out the, the, the expectations we should have with work and rest, then we're going to be able to at least go a little more smoothly along the grain of the universe um, and not get ourselves unnecessarily worked up or tired or hurt or whatever that might look like. And then I think of suffering, right? <clears throat> if we could at least um, explore in some shape or form, not completely, but have, a, have a, a better understanding and a deeper understanding of why suffering is here, death, evil, these sorts of things, man, that's going to help us so much right now um, as we're all um, experiencing a lot more of it, I would say, um, we're more acutely aware of it, and we're seeing it all around us. That's going to serve us and, and serve the people around us. And so, hopefully, the whole series as well. It really does stir faith, and I don't mean faith as in like drumming up some hype, but I mean genuine faith, trust in God, trust in who He is, what He said, what He's doing. You know, His power, His glory, His story. Hopefully, I didn't mean that to rhyme, um, but um, hopefully, that really does encourage us in a, in, a, in a big way and give us hope when. Maybe people that we know who don't hold to the truths that we hold to are feeling a little hopeless right now or have found their hope shaken because it is, is set in shaken things. And so here's the plan. Uh, I think we'll get refreshed. And if it's not a refresher for some people and we're hearing it for the first time, I think it's going to serve us having those conversations with people that we love, people that we know. Um, I mean, I, I think of guys on the screen who've just said, hey, they were colleagues over the last year. They've had some great conversations, great questions, um, some good banter um, and, and trying to process this thing called life. And so everyone, that's the plan. We're going to jump around Genesis 1 to 3. Um, every week we'll look at a passage or a couple of passages and sort of pull out themes and and then that's where we're going for the next while. And yeah, I really trust that we can figure out well how to how to engage people's questions in this time um, and 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 have a reaffirmed conviction in our heart um, of, of of our beliefs and and who God is. So if you are joining us and you're not part of this church, welcome. Um, I, I was posting Zoom links like five minutes before this started. So if there is anyone here and you are just visiting us, you are so welcome to be here. And please feel free and invited to lean in. We have um, We've um, expected you, maybe not you personally, but we're expecting someone like you. And we always try to um, make sure that you feel like, especially if you are not a Christ follower, you're trying to figure out your life and faith and you think um, church is, is, is worth a shot. We always try to have people like you in mind. So please feel welcome. So 
let's jump into today's talk. Um, how did we get you? That's my, my big idea. And just picture with me right now, um, it's Christmas Eve, 1968. So a lot, most of you weren't born. There's a few of us here who, who might remember that day, but most, most of you weren't born. But the crew of the Apollo 8 have blasted off from Earth. They've gone up to see the moon and they've orbited around the moon and they've swung back around now and they are looking at Earth for the first time. And as they see Earth, okay, it's this beautiful blue-green planet. It's chilling there in the vastness of space, all the millions of stars. It's a view that hardly anyone, no one at that point had seen with their own eyes the way they were seeing it. It was this, must have been this out-of-body moment, breathtaking experience. And what they did was they were being broadcast across the world and they read the following verse, and it'll come up on the screen now. They just, they read this over the, over the airwaves. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's an amazing line. It's an amazing uh, view that they must have had. I like that we got Africa in our, in our version here, but it's one verse, the opening verse of the Bible. It's 10 words, and it answers one of the most important questions of life, which is where we want to start um, the series on. Um, how did we get here? And how did we get here in the massive sense of literally looking out my window now, what is all of this doing here? What is this mountain and these clouds and these stars that are about to appear just now? What am I doing here? How did we get here? And quite simply, you look at that verse, Genesis 1.1, it teaches us that the universe had a beginning. That's what it claims. Eh? There was a time when things were not, and then all of a sudden things were. There was a time when it was not, and then all of a sudden it was. The universe came into being. And it claims that God was behind this moment. It, it didn't just happen. God created everything. And whether you believe in the Big Bang or not, um, you, or you simply choose to, it's not, a, it's not a thing you need to worry about right now. You just want to push it aside. That's fine. Um, but the bottom line is, according to this verse and uh, the Christian scriptures, um, God created everything. God created the heavens and the earth. I've just clicked off my, uh, I lost my notes. So that's just, uh, give me a second here, guys. I got thrown a little bit there because I just didn't know what the next line was. I'm just going to scroll back down to my notes. There we go. Um, what I wanted to say is, um, although Genesis 1-1 says this, this is pretty much the majority claim of science right now as well. It's, it's, it's so important to believe that um, because that wasn't always the case. Um, for the majority of cultures, up until even in Western society, the beginning of the 20th century, um, people believed that the universe eternally existed, that it was in a solid state. It, was, uh, it hadn't come from anywhere. Um, and now the claim of modern science is that, no, 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 the universe had a beginning. Einstein was fiddling around with his theories and realized that, oh, no, this, this se the universe didn't seem to just always be here. And essentially the Big Bang theory came about in the early 20th century, and scientists pretty much agree that, no, there was a singularity. There was a moment where the whole universe was created. By the way, I don't know if you're like me, but when you hear Big Bang theory now, you don't think of the massive scientific uh, start of the universe. You just think of those nerdy guys like Sheldon and everybody that I can't help but just see the picture of the cast in my head when I say that. But anyways, as I say today, the Bible and science are pretty much agreed right now. It's a very minority view of people who believe the earth still and um, the whole the whole cosmos has always existed. And it's normally people with sort of extremely spiritual beliefs and the sort of idea that uh, pantheism and panentheism, that God is everything and the universe is God, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that is a very minority of you. And if anyone wants to hold it, when we have a conversation with people, we can say, well, you've got to go against 
the Christian scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, even the Islamic scriptures and the whole of modern science, which is a it's a, it's a hard thing to do right now. So hopefully that's how we can have those conversations. But in the beginning, God created the universe. That's what this scripture says. And, and the word we read here for God is the word Elohim. Okay, the Hebrew word Elohim, and it's a very interesting word, but um, in one of its variations, um, it can be uh, in the plural form. And that's exactly what we have here um, uh, in Genesis 1.1. And I think in some ways it is an allusion to the fact that our God is three in one. He's three persons revealed in one God, Father, Son, Spirit. I think it's probably alluding to that. But I think at the time, the writers were not necessarily thinking or getting at that, but actually doing a sort of a literary thing where if you flip over, for example, in your Bibles to Genesis 2, 2 verse 4, and it starts a second creation account there. Um, not a different account, but a, an account of creation from a different perspective. And you'll see that the writer doesn't um, use the word Elohim. He uses the word uh, Yahweh. So your Bible will say the Lord God, but that is Yahweh God. And it's the more personal name. It's the revealed personal name of the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's his personal name in a much more personal account from a different vantage point, as I'm saying. But in this first chapter here, chapter one, it's a much bigger uh, picture of creation. And it's using the much more, in a sense, if I can say this generic big picture word for God. Um, it's a kind of vaguer word, the spiritual being, God, just, just, just a blank sort of canvas, which I think speaks to the fact that he is just this God who's over everything. He, he's the one in his majesty and power who's created everything. He's saying, hey, I am the autonomous creator who has created the totality of everything. I think that's the point that's kind of being made there. And another interesting thing about this verse is I think there is a whisper in a sense of the fact that this is a God with a plan, a plan and a purpose. And obviously, if you read the rest of the Bible, you can clearly see that his, his, the counsel of his world and his plan and purpose keeps coming up. But if you just look at the word beginning, in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, that word was almost always coupled with its counterpart, end, beginning, end, beginning, end, beginning, end. And no doubt, I'm sure when people read this, they would have heard beginning and something in their mind would have said, OK, well, there's an end coming. There's an end point. And it's not the beginning of the world and the end of the world, but I think it's the beginning of the world for its end goal, for its purpose, for its trajectory. There's a destination that God created things with. And when Paul speaks next week, you'll see how how even in, in, in Genesis 1, you can see a clear trajectory. You can see a plan and purpose moving forward um, that God has set in motion. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the heavens and the earth is a poetic way of basically saying um, everything that your eyes can see and cannot see. So you need to picture someone three and a half thousand years ago reading these words, and they would have been standing on that map there, sort of the top right corner of the map where ancient Israel is, and they would have heard these words, and they would have read this, and they would have just looked around, the heavens and the earth. Heaven is not is not meaning heaven is in God's dwelling place. In their mind here, yeah, heavens is, is, is everything that they could see above them. The earth was the land, and then up there was the heavens, and you had the clouds, and you had the stars, and then you had the beyond, where God obviously dwells the heavens and the earth. It's a poetic way of saying it, kind of like what we would say is the four corners of the earth or um, the, the to the ends of the earth or from the east is to the west. It's a kind of a way to encapsulate everything. And that's the claim. Yahweh created it all. Yahweh, the God of the Bible, created it all. That's the claim of the first verse. It's the claim of the rest of the Bible. And it's, the, it's our claim as Christ followers um, of, of the God we worship. And what I want to quickly do now is you've got to understand that when Genesis was written, right, um, Moses and whoever else put it together, um, what Genesis was, especially Genesis 1 to 11, and especially Genesis 1 to 3, was a sort of, um, 
this text was in dialogue with other ancient texts of the day. Maybe I can say that. So there were there would have been other ancient Near Eastern cultures who had their versions of how the world came to be. And, uh, you know, you would have had the primordial soup and the gods warring it out. And from that, the world got created and all these things. And uh, I forgot the one, the one, uh, I think it's a Babylonian account where um, a single human was created. And then eventually that androgynous human got split into two. But there's all these competing accounts to which this account came in and said, no, 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 no. Your God didn't do this. The sun God didn't do this. There is a God overall who created everything. And kind of like that in our day, this narrative is in competition with other narratives that are around. Um, there are a vast multitude of beliefs, or maybe not a vast multitude, but there's a couple of beliefs that other people hold that in a sense, our scriptures are in dialogue with in our modern context as well. And so I want to ask us now briefly <clears throat> to look at the question of, well, if not God, then what? If not God, then what? Um, now, I've obviously mentioned briefly that there are a minority of people who don't believe that the universe was ever created. And I was even reading um, earlier today um, some interviews with William Lane Craig. You might know him. He's a cosmologist and Christian apologist. And, and he was just saying, like, even scientists, um, even scientists today are trying to figure out if they can figure out a way to prove that there was no singularity. Because the fact that there was a beginning creates problems for scientists because they have to figure out what came before the beginning. Um, but basically... If you come into, if you, if you dialogue with anyone today, um, maybe there's a few people who have that rare view of the eternal universe, but predominantly people are going to fall into one of three camps. That's Andrew Wilson's claim. Um, Andrew Wilson is a, is a pastor from uh, the UK, and uh, he's just a great theologian, but also a very good thinker, and he engages in these kinds of topics. So I'm leaning on him. I don't consider to be an expert in um, cosmology, any type of cosmology, whether it's ancient Near Eastern or uh, modern. But um, so I'm leaning on him here. But he basically says, and if you think about it, people are going to land in three camps when it comes to uh, how this world, how this whole universe came to be. Number one, your option is blind luck. We'll chat about these. Number two is the multiverse. We'll chat about that. Don't worry. And then number three is design, that there was an intelligent designer um, behind this. And obviously, when you look at that, that list of three, obviously one squares with the Bible, right? The Bible lines up with design. That's what it's that's what it's that's what it's saying. But I think it's important to know that there are scientists that hold to all three of these. So I don't want anyone here to think that, oh, design is the faith answer. And then scientists believe one and two. That's just factually incorrect. There's a ton of scientists who believe in intelligent design. And it's, I think it's super important for us to um, to, to to know that. Um, because what happens is we always hear the extremes. On the one extreme, we have the sort of the atheist scientist who says everything's naturalistic and um, it, there's nothing beyond the realm of science and the material and atheism. And on the other side of the debate that you'll often hear that's very loud is you kind of, you know, you've got the sort of faith person who believes in a flat earth and that the the sun revolves around the earth. And, and then it's put up as if these are the only options and only idiots would pick this one. It's not the case. There's a massive spectrum of people in the middle um, who hold to all sorts of things. And the majority, or not a majority, but a lot of scientists would be in the camp of, of design. So I'm not playing, I don't want to play that off against the other ones. But let's look at these options quickly. So number one, blind luck. <clears throat> and I'm going to be very brief. I try not to make this a science lecture because it's not my, not my niche area. And this is a Sunday night, not a Tuesday morning at UCT. So here's the idea. Um, it was a stroke of luck. We, 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 we might not have rocked up in this universe where everything works like it does, but we, we're just we're glad it did because here we are. And you need to ask yourself, well, how lucky then are we? If, if that is the claim that all of this came about 
the Big Bang happened because everything just managed to work out exactly right. And the amino acids, you know, helped life form. How lucky are we if this whole universe was created literally by sheer luck? And I think many people would say that the answer is far too lucky for this to be the most reasonable option. Maybe people could claim it's some sort of reasonable option, but is it the most reasonable? I really struggle to think that it's the most reasonable option. Um, because scientists tell us for this universe to exist the way it does, for all the laws of the universe to be upheld, for this universe not to implode on itself, for the possibility of life being available um, on this planet, but not even that, we're talking about everything to the, to the farthest ends of the universe and all the galaxies and the billions of stars out there. <clears throat> In order for this to hold up and exist just the way it does, there are 15 constants, they call them, that have to be exact. Now, a constant is, is just a fancy word for an, a number that doesn't change, a number that is constant. But out of these 15 numbers, <clears throat> and some of them need to be um, one millionth of a millionth accurate. And if that number is one off, the whole of the universe literally ceases to exist. And so I want you to picture, I mean, I don't know if anybody ever was a gambling person. Maybe you're still a gambling person. But you know what a roulette wheel is, okay? You've been to a casino. You know what a roulette wheel is. You spin the thing, you throw the ball, and the ball cruises around, and eventually it settles on a number, right? Now, picture a massive roulette wheel, and instead of uh, 60, I have no idea how many numbers are on a roulette wheel. So instead of 60, just imagine a million numbers on that roulette wheel. And you go up to the first roulette wheel out of 15, and you spin the thing, right? And it lands perfectly <clears throat> on the one millionth thing. I mean, that is a hell of a stroke of luck. The perfect one in a millionth thing. Well, brilliant. You're very lucky. You need to move then on to the second of the 15 roulette wheels and then roll the next one. So, yes, ga. Everything's gone. These, this is how it works. This is how crazy it is to believe that all 15 constants that you need, and some of those constants are made up of other numbers that also have to be accurate within that. In order for this world to hold up, I do want to put to you that it's not the most reasonable, reasonable or rational answer, which is why there's tons of scientists who don't think that it's the best view to hold having blind luck, that this whole thing arrived with blind luck. <clears throat> it's hard to prove, obviously, that this happened without any external force, that it just sort of, you know, happened. But I don't think it makes the most sense. I don't think it makes a lot of sense, <clears throat> especially when this is just sort of the cosmological argument. And there's a whole bunch of other evidences and arguments that you could then go to as well for the case for a creator. So, I mean, even Stephen Hawking, um, Stephen Hawking wrote Brief History of Time. A lot of you might remember him. And <clears throat> Jeff Fote, thank you. There's 36 numbers on the roulette wheel. I don't know if that was because you freshly saw that last night or this is from a, a day long ago, Jeff, but 36, thank you very much for that clarity. <clears throat> so Stephen Hawking, um, he's passed away now, but um, there was a movie that was made about him a couple of years ago called The Theory of Everything. He was in the wheelchair. He had a voice modulator, not a Christian, but he even said this, the odds against a universe that has produced life like ours are immense. It would be very difficult to explain why the universe should have began in this way, except as the act of a God who intended to create beings like us. 38, including zeros, don't judge me. This is beautiful. The banter is phenomenal here. <clears throat> that's a quote from Stephen Hawking, who, who doesn't think that that's the most rational explanation to just assume that this universe was 
was created with luck. And I want to add to that and say, not only do I think it's not the most reasonable answer, but it's not the most hopeful answer. Now, obviously, I don't want anyone to, to, to base their life on things that give them hope but are unreasonable and, and, and have no basis in fact or reality. But here I'm saying I don't think the reality is really there and the fact is really there. Plus, it's not super hopeful. I mean, think about it. If this is all there is, if this is all there ever was, you can go out tonight, you can look at the stars and you can look around, whatever, whatever you want to do. I don't think that just justifies the way we often feel in life. When we see things and we say to ourselves, man, this shouldn't be. This is not how it was meant to be. This is not right. This isn't fair. This shouldn't have happened. There's, that, there's, there's something inside of us, an intuitive feeling that we express sometimes, but actually that doesn't square up with, with, with this view because there, there's no such thing as, as, as right and fair if, if you hold this view, okay? There's, there's no alternative world or previous world that you could compare it to to say, no, no, it's not meant to be like this. It's meant to be like this. There's no moral, external moral standard, then there's no right or wrong. COVID is not unfair in any way. COVID is just COVID. You need to just deal with that. You need to hope that you don't get it or hope that it doesn't um, hurt you or kill you. But that, that, that's, that's the ultimate hope that you have. Um, you'd have to create your own meaning within this world, um, which we've been doing for decades. Man, pour yourself into Korea, pour yourself into this. And we've realized in the last two years, all of that's also gone up in smoke. None of that's sure. So I would say this is a, this is a pretty hopeless option, especially in our current time. And it also applies, I mean, you think of just the immense suffering that we have going on right now. And some of us are experiencing here. I know several people here have lost, have lost friends or family members in the, last, in the last three to four weeks. I don't think this is a hopeful option to put before people, let alone um, uh, the most reasonable rational. So that's blind luck. Here's the second one that you've got. You can go on to then is the multiverse. <clears throat> now, the multiverse is basically the idea that, um, yeah, we live in this universe, but actually we are just one of billions, possibly trillions of other universes. And of all the universes that are out there, we're in the one where everything happens to work to, to, to allow this to work. So those 15 roulette wheels that are spinning with all those numbers, man, there's a trillion bazillion universes rolling a whole bunch of roulette wheels, having a great time on the, you know, cosmic Vegas there, and we happen to be the one that hit the jackpot. That's what the multiverse theory is basically, how the multiverse theory allows us to say, hey, this isn't blind luck, but we are the, we still are pretty lucky that we happen to be in, in the right universe. And there's, there's a whole bunch of theories in the multiverse. There's at least four that I know of, and I encourage you, I am not going to explain the multiverse or string theory right now, because I'm not qualified to do that. Um, so go, go online, Google. Christian faith is not opposed to scientists and science. We don't have to be worried of theories. We don't have to hide people away from things. You can go and explore and dig as much as you want. So go check it out. The Economist has a great seven-minute video that I recommend on the multiverse because it's short. There's a TED talk that I guided on the multiverse. It's about 17, 18 minutes. Go explore. Enjoy. Um, but what I want to say is, um, is it possible that the multiverse is true? Um, can, you, can, you, can you prove to me that it's not true? Um, can I prove to you that the multiverse is not true? Well, no, I can't prove to you that the multiverse is not true. Um, but that 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 doesn't mean anything in it really. Um, I can't prove to you that that there are no such things as unicorns. Uh, you might not, you know, neither of us might have just not have seen them. Doesn't mean they're not real. So I can't prove to you that they're not there. And um, because they might be, they might be hanging out on some other planet elsewhere in the galaxy. And you know, so it's very hard to prove a negative. That's my point here. 
And obviously, I don't have the time to, as I say, unpack the whole multiverse theory and string theory and all, all that. But we don't need to be afraid of straw man, as I said. But here's what you need to do, I think. We need to step back. And I'm stealing this from Andrew Wilson and a whole bunch of other scientists. We need to step back and just ask ourselves this question. If it seems so clear that the universe is designed, that everything does seem to work perfectly, and, and blind luck, therefore, doesn't make the most sense of that, is then the multiverse theory the next most logical step. That, that's, that's what I want to put to you. So here's, here's an analogy, okay? Imagine I am a, uh, I'm a war criminal for, for whatever. I don't know what I've done, but I'm a war criminal and I have been brought before a firing squad, okay? So I've been marched out blindfolded into this castle courtyard and I'm standing there and there are a hundred expert marksmen on the walls all around me. They've got their sniper rifles aimed at me and there's the judge or whatever, and he calls three, two, one, fire. And I'm standing there, and a hundred marksmen all fire their guns off at the same time. And about three seconds later, I open my eyes, I lift the blindfold, and I kind of feel myself, and I realize there's not one bullet hole in me. I'm still standing here. I don't think my first logical thought is to say, well, I'm very lucky. No bullet hit me out of the 100 expert marksmen. No one shot me. Therefore, I'm probably just one of a billion executions that happened this day. And I just happened to be in the one where all 100 professional marksmen just missed the mark. Because that's what the multiverse is saying. It's saying that, hey, if not, if not just lucky, then we are also actually in the one where just we got very lucky out of all the others. I was saying, no, 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 no. Your first thought and Maybe I'm crazier, but my first thought, if that was me, would not be to assume that I was one in a billion people in executions that day who got lucky. I would say, no, no, no. Is everyone drunk? Like, has someone spiked the the, the, the like drinking water here before everyone shot me? Or uh, has everyone been bribed? Have they been paid off to to for hundred expert people to miss the mark? No, there is some sort of conspiracy or plan or some some sort of intelligent design that's gone on here. But my first thought doesn't doesn't jump to I'm just one of a billion people who didn't you know who was meant to get executed and didn't today. And I found that quite a quite a helpful analogy that um, I, I've stolen from Andrew Wilson. But is there evidence for the multiverse theory? Well. No, there, there isn't. You can go, you can go look at the all the videos that I've said. It's, it's, it's still very much a theory. It's not proven. Tons of scientists don't hold to it at all. Um, but also, if you were to be able to prove it with the scientific method, it would therefore mean that it's not actually in another universe somehow. It would be in our universe if you were able to empirically prove it. So in a sense, it's, it's self-defeating. The, the, it's built into the model that it can't actually be proven. So, as I say, our universe is incredible. Luck is ridiculous, but if you don't believe in a God, you have to figure out somehow what caused it all. And so therefore that's how you can get to lean into a view of the multiverse. I'm not saying it's the only reason why guys do it. No, they've got, they've got reasons, but I think that's how you can very easily get there and become sort of sympathetic to it in a degree. But I want to put to you that neither of these are the most reasonable as I try to do in a very quick time, blind luck or the multiverse. And I want to say Genesis 1-1 to both of these problems that seem a bit far-fetched, to be honest, and not the most reasonable. Genesis 1-1 speaks and says, no, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I think that the creator, the case for a creator, which is a great book, by the way. I'm busy rereading. Check it out. The case for a creator, Lee Strobel. I highly recommend. But I think the case for a creator is 
um, there's a, an immensely valuable uh, foundation for us to stand on, not only because we see it in the scriptures, but also it, it seems to match the best evidence that we actually have. So think of it this way. And when you, we're having conversations with people in this time, think of it this way. When you see something that's well-designed, when you see something that, that has intricate design, that there was, um, that you can use something and it works well, that's got a purpose that, that it seems to be designed for, again, you don't conclude luck. You conclude a designer. You take your phone, you've got your smartphone, okay? And you've got touch screens, you've got cameras, you've got microphones, you've got speakers, you've got chips. Cam Sharp can tell you how all of this works and he can, he can build you one of these. Cam Sharp? Feel free to, hey, you've actually still got my other one. I just realized that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's broken anyway. But um, when you look at this thing, you don't conclude that all the, just the pieces of sand and glass and everything that comes together to make microphones and lenses and chipboards just happen to fly together by chance and make your phone. No, your first conclusion is that this has been well-designed there is a designer who made this with a purpose. And you would be right, and I think you would be reasonable to hold that view. Now, whether you obviously believe in the Big Bang, as I've said before, or evolution or, or whatever it is, that's not the, the main thing. But what I'm saying is I think the logical, the best logical conclusion when you see the evidence is to say, hey, there seems to be an intelligent, intentional creator. And to be honest, even some atheists conclude this. <clears throat> so Richard Dawkins, and uh, what's the other guy's name? Francis Crick. Um, oh, you can, sorry, take this quote away. This one's coming up just now. But Richard, Richard Dawkins, before you see this quote here, Richard Dawkins um, and, and uh, Francis Crick say, okay, well, maybe there's a creator, but it's probably, I quote Richard Dawkins, it's probably a superhuman or Richard Crick. It's definitely aliens. And then he's got a hold on theory there. Now, first of all, I don't know what a superhuman is. Um, is it a giant human? When I hear superhuman, I'm thinking X-Men, Captain America, maybe. Um, but to both these answers, you've still got to say, well, who created those beings? If you're not saying these are eternal beings, otherwise, basically, what are you saying? So here are your options from leading scientists today. In the beginning, Captain America created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, aliens created the heavens and the earth. Or in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. These are, these are the options that are, that are out there. And I think I've realized in many chats, especially when I was at UCT a few years ago. Um, you know, these were sort of hot topics and apologetic conversations. And I realized through a lot of my chats that um, a lot of the time people would say, you could, you, could, you could prove to them that there was a God. And they would still say to you, it doesn't matter that there is a God. I just don't want there to be a God. Even if all the evidence and all the signs pointed to God, there's some people who would just still say at the end of the day, I don't want there to be a God. And that's what I think Richard Dawkins is getting at in his quote here that will come up now. <clears throat> Richard Dawkins, author of The God Delusion. I'm sure a lot of you would have heard of him. So here's his quote that's coming up. <clears throat> he said this. He said, you could persuade me that there was a creator who designed everything. He said, maybe it's superhuman. He said, but this is incompatible with a God who cares about your sin what you do with your genitals and what you think about. And basically what Richard Dawkins is trying to say there is that, hey, I don't have a problem with there being a God. I just have a problem with God having a problem with my sin. That's what it basically, that's what his quote comes down to at the end of the day there. I wouldn't have a problem with God if he didn't have a problem with my sin. And so to be honest, questions like, 
the questions of God, they're not ultimately going to be solved by science. I mean, Jesus himself said, even if someone, if people see someone raised from the dead, they will still not believe. And he was obviously talking about the fact that he was going to be raised from the dead. And he had still had tons of people who saw him and did not believe. And so science is not going to solve this problem. We need God to break in and reveal things to people. But what I do want to end with here as we're finishing this little section is that we have confidence in, in our scriptures and in our natural revelation that that, that, that the Bible's true. And what Genesis 1-1 says is, is, is so true. There is a creator. But if there is a creator, and I, I'm saying this to all of us here, whoever you are, Christ follower, not Christ follower, <clears throat> it leads us to do some pretty serious thinking. When we think about the world, when we think about the universe, so I want to ask the question to land here is, what, what can we know about him? What can we know about, about God? Or about this creator. And at the very least, before we even go back into the text of Genesis 1-1, if you just consider the, the natural world and what has been created and the cosmos and the stars and the galaxies and all of that that we've, that we've discussed here, at the very least, if you think of just the size of it all, just the, the, the sheer magnitude of everything, you would conclude that this God is super powerful and that he has energy and might that is unrivaled. No human can ever can ever come near to touching this God. Um, no society that we could build, no technology that we could build right now would ever compare to to this God. That's one thing you'd conclude. The second thing you conclude is, man, if you look at a the scale, but b the level of complexities, not just the macro but the micro levels of complexity within human beings, within cells, within plants, and you look at the creatures at the bottom of the ocean, you look at that complexity, and you would say this God is not only massive and powerful, but he he has a great mind. He is super intelligent, way beyond anything that we could ever comprehend. And so it would make sense that our thoughts are always going to be lower than his thoughts. We're never going to be able to get our minds around God and understand him in his totality. And then I think you could conclude that um, that he's extremely creative, which would probably lead to you thinking that there's a personal aspect to God. None of us, no humans create art. Uh, humans can create art. Animals can't create art. And we create it because of the personality traits that we have inside of us. And so when we look at the, the beauty and the creation, I mean, you think of the sunsets, there are sunsets on planets thousands of miles away that we will never, ever, ever see, but they exist and God can see them. And it's just a beautiful thing to think, man, the, the, the God of the universe is this creative God who creates beauty. And I said, that leads to a personality. So that's what you can think about before you even look at the text. You just look at the world around us. And that probably tells you a bit about this creator. And if you are not a Christ follower and you've been listening so far today and you're exploring, um, I want you to, to do some serious thinking. I want you to open up your heart to, um, <clears throat> to the evidence, I would say, that says there's a creator. And I would love you to consider just these facets about God for now. Um, I'm going to carry on talking about a bit, a bit more now of, of, of what else we know about him from Genesis 1-1 in the Bible. But, man, I would love you to, to do some serious thinking and reconsidering if you haven't believed in a creator before today. But then for the rest of us, <clears throat> we believe the Bible. We believe Genesis 1-1. <clears throat> Even if we just believe Genesis 1-1, let me tell you what we believe. We believe, number one, unlike an atheist, obviously, there is a God. Unlike an agnostic, we believe that we can know God because he has revealed himself, A, in creation, B, in the scriptures, um, C, in the person of Jesus Christ. Number three, unlike an animist, um, that believes the world is controlled by spirits, the water spirits, the mountain spirits, whatever that may be. We believe that God created everything and God controls the world, although that doesn't mean that there are not spirits um, uh, active in the world. 
We believe that there are not many gods that, you know, created everything, but that there is one God overall who created everything, including other spiritual beings as well. But there is one chief creator over every single thing. And unlike secular humanists and unlike existentialists and rationalists, Genesis 1-1 tells us that there is a God and he's over our reason. He's over our experiences. He existed long before us. He knows way more than we know. He is way smarter than us. And although God is deeply concerned with his creation, he's deeply concerned about every single one of you on the screen right now. He's deeply concerned about the smallest things in this world. He is also separate from his creation. He's not Mother Earth. He's Father God. He is transcendent. He is the creator and we are his creation. One is not all, although in a profound way, he has joined to us and he has reached out to us. And I would say an appropriate response to to this God, if this is all we knew about him, his power, his transcendence, his intellect, uh, I think all is the appropriate response. But honestly, I would say almost, to be honest, a trembling fear um, of this God would be entirely appropriate when you imagine that he created all of this and he could end each, each and every one of us in the blink of an eye. I would say that there is tremendous fear that should fill each and every heart. Even more fear should enter our hearts if, if you imagine that, that we have crossed this God, that we have spurned him, that we have spat in his face, that we have not said thank you to him, that we have not tried to follow him and love him. All that stuff, I think, would be appropriate under that awe. But still, that's not all we know about God. Because God has created everything and he is separate from everything and he upholds the universe with the world of his power, he holds natural law in his hand. That means that he can bend natural law and he can break into this universe, into human history. And that's exactly what he did in the person of Jesus. We believe that the transcendent God, Yahweh God, came in the person of Jesus 2,000 years ago, he lived, he, he, the, the fullness of himself dwelt bodily in Jesus. And what Jesus did was went to the cross to die for our sin, your and my sin, the sins of the world, so that we could, by faith, be reconciled to God. Our, our sin has wrecked everything, has, has broken not only human relationships, but has unleashed a whole bunch of stuff on creation as well. And God came in the person of Jesus to reconcile us to himself. And I think that, coupled with the very raw power and majesty of God. You put that together and that is, the, that is the appropriate awe we should feel. And so when we go out, and I want to recommend this, we live in a city, Paul said this to me this week, we live in a city where we, we see a lot of human creation. We see cars and buildings and computer screens. But man, if we get out, and actually I know a lot of you are, are the, the camping runner type. It just seems to be the C-point PM thing. A lot of you get out of town, which is fantastic. And so I want to say, next time you do that, Go get out. Look at the mountain. Go, man, if you can get out, the best thing is to get out of the city and see stars and just see the wonders of the heavens and the Milky Way. Just spend time looking at it because that does something to your soul. It enlarges your soul. It gives you um, perspective. It gives you scope. It gives you scale where you just realize how tiny you are, how vast the universe is, and therefore just how incredibly vast and powerful God must be. And that would, what you feel there would be just a, inkling of the appropriate awe that you should feel before our creator God. So that's what I wanted to say this evening. Next week, Paulie is going to um, come in and take us from, from here. We're going to go through the seven days of creation, and Paul's going to take us through on, on God's forming and ordering of the world. 
Um, but I hope this has been helpful. I hope it grounds us in some, some solid truth. I hope it gives us um, some conversational tools and a bit of confidence, actually, that actually um, our faith. Um, there's a Tim Keller quote, which I have in my script, and I missed it this morning, and I've missed it again. So I'm going to get Paul to say it because he knows it well off by heart. But um, I really hope that this has served us uh, well. Paulie, give us that quote, Rick, because I can't remember it. Brilliant. Thanks, Carla. Um, guys, we want to just remind you if you want to have prayer, send Jana a message. Otherwise, she's going to be soon sending us out into life groups, uh, life groups, breakout rooms uh, to just chat and, and try to recreate what it's like after a Sunday. Um, uh, also, Nilka and Jeff, you guys are going to pray for us. You don't know it, you didn't know it until now, but now you do. So I'm going to give you a bit of time to get your prayers ready off the back of this message. Um, uh, um, um, Jeff, you were chosen because of your roulette knowledge um, not being up to date. Dean had the total roulette knowledge. You kind of had a, had a little bit of knowledge, which for me is just delightful. Thank you for not knowing not knowing too much about roulette. Um, but the quote Carl's speaking about is Tim Keller saying that our faith is both intellectually coherent and soul satisfied. You often think those two things are opposite, like you have a super rational approach to figure God out, or no, chuck it away and just go with the, go with the heart. And, you say, no, 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 God created our minds. He created our hearts. So good reason to expect that it will both be intellectually coherent when you when you follow the resources, as Kyle's done over the last few weeks, um, and ask your questions as you might want to do tonight. It's intellectually coherent, but it's also soul-satisfying, which is such good news that in a time like um, we find ourselves in. We're all trying to figure out the future, but we're also going through all kinds of things at an emotional level, and we bring our questions as well as our hearts before God. So. I'm trusting that this series does a little bit of that in our in our lives. So, um, Jeff, you're going to kick us off. Then Ilka's going to pray for us, and then it's into breakout rooms we go to just connect with our mates that we have on our screens. So, over to you, Jeff. What's the time? What's the time constraint? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, okay, let's pray. Go for it. Cool. Yeah, Lord, we just thank you so much for. Um, for your wisdom, Lord, um, I just thank you that, Lord, there's knowledge, but through your spirit, you give us wisdom. You give us uh, insights that, Lord, we ourselves sometimes are unable to explain. But I just thank you that the spirit groans where words fail to express. Father, I just thank you that you give us uh, a sense of being ready to always give a reason for the joy that is within us. And, Father, that that is a mystery that uh, needs no explaining. It's that sense of um, us bearing the image of Jesus. So, Father, even as hard as it is to sort of comprehend creation, we just thank you that we have your Son who has uh, come and given us life, that we have in you um, new life, a, a, a complete and total internal transformation, Lord. I just pray that you will uh, yeah, just help us to be filled with um, just, the, just the fruit of your spirit, Lord, that that will be the evidence that speaks uh, more than words can speak to those around us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Father God, thanks for the opportunity to gather together, Lord. Um, yeah, and then it can be so much fun to see faces online lord and you know, know that we on this journey together lord and we're trying to figure out stuff together lord and you know that it's 
a place where we can um, share joy, Lord, but we can also share thoughts, Father. And thanks for the reminder tonight, Lord, that in the beginning um, you were, Lord, and that, yeah, that is so um, refreshing to know, Lord, that that you've always been, Lord, and that, you know, you just remind us to, today, Lord, that you are the Alpha and the Omega, Lord, and that somewhere in, in your infinite being, Lord, we exist, Lord, and thanks that we don't really have to comprehend all of it, Father, but we, yeah, as Paul also shared that quote, Lord, that you, that you satisfy our souls, Lord, but you also really, um, yeah, transform our thoughts, Lord, and, and that you're so um, comprehensive, Father, thanks, thanks for the journey of getting to know you, Lord, and that we can really, yeah, just rest in your being, Father, and yeah, thanks for our time together, Lord, and that we can also consecrate the week to you and ask that you will go um, ahead of us, Lord, and whatever your lies and waits and have to get done, Lord, that you will be part of it, Father. Thank you that, yeah, that we're safe in your hands. Amen. 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 Thank you.